Good morning, good morning. Welcome uh, to the last Sunday before school. Uh, for all of you who were able to uh, wake up and make it out uh, this morning, uh, welcome back from the great wide open road over here, Bringman family. <laughs> yes, that's you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I saw somebody uh, learn to brush teeth over there the other day. Is that right? Nice. Yeah, I'm talking about you, Miss Donut. <laughs> So last week we started this series, and uh, I told you right from the get-go that my whole agenda uh, for this series was that I wanted you to read your Bible. Now, I know that's a massively wild concept for us to wrap our minds around uh, as Christians, but um, you'd be surprised how many people don't. And statistically speaking, in this room, that might be several of you. Um, But Some people don't believe in the Bible, and I would say probably most of those people have never actually read it. Um, I'm going to be honest with you, most people who do say they believe in it probably haven't really um, read the whole thing. But even if you don't believe it, I think it's worth the read. Um, The majority of you are people who grew up around the Bible, and uh, most people who grew up around the Bible would say they have some sort of respect for it um, and for Jesus, but have never really read it. Although, through all of it, through life, our values have been shaped by it, both individually uh, and as a country. Uh, It determines what makes us feel guilty. Uh, That's what so many of us have set up kind of our internal barometer as to where we base if we're doing bad, if we're doing good, what should make us feel guilty, what shouldn't do it. It affects things like the way we parent and the way we are spouses. And it affects all these things, but so many Christians have never actually read the thing. Um, For most Christians, I'd say the extent of it is to whatever they see uh, read to them or up on a screen on a Sunday morning uh, that then some preacher tries to explain as to what it means. So last week, um, what we talked about as we started out this series is really how um, the Bible can be very personal, that it can be personal. We read out David viewed the scriptures, the personal impact that those things had uh, for him. And in fact, he described the scriptures in reading those words, um, he described it like God himself was teaching him. Which, you know, no offense to any professors in the room, God's probably better than you guys <laughs> if he were to teach you personally. Um, but uh, that's what David said it was like, as if God was teaching him personally. Now, here's what I want to do this week, is I want to talk about the actual Bible itself, uh, the actual book that we all hold. And it can be a very confusing book because the reason that it can be confusing, one of the reasons, is that it's not really a book. Right? It's not like it was sat down and a person wrote it front to back and it was laid out. Um, it's, it's not really a book. It's not chronological. Uh, if you try and just read beginning to end, you're going to get real confused real quick uh, as to the way that it works and how everything is. Uh, it has many different authors, uh, not just one single person. And it was written over an extremely long period of time. And so it can be very confusing when you put all of those things uh, together, right? So today, what I want to do is I want to try and make it a little more simple. And I've given you a visual aid that I'm going to kind of go through and point some things out that hopefully it helps in the way that the Bible is arranged and laid out may help it be easier uh, for you uh, to approach. So quick overview, the Bible, not a book, right? 
It's actually more like a library, a collection, uh, if you will. 66 different separate books and writings are in the Bible. And I think maybe that perhaps the greatest miracle of all is not in the Bible. I think perhaps the greatest miracle of all is the Bible and the fact that we have it. And let me explain, because the first writer of the Bible was Moses. He was writing about 1400 BC. So about 3,500 years ago. Uh, The last writer, probably Paul, uh, he was writing somewhere around 68 AD. So you've got this collection of writings written by 40 different authors over about a 1,500 year time span, right? And here's the amazing thing. All of that, all of those different people, all of those hundreds of years, and it comes together to tell a singular story, a singular story. And it's the story of redemption. That's the story of the Bible. It's about a creator winning back his creation. And the story of, it's the story of our God. It's the story of my God. It's the story of, of your God. And it's been preserved throughout the ages, right? Within the extraordinary collection of documents that we call the Bible. And it really is a miracle that it all survived and got together. And when somebody says, well, I just don't believe the Bible, it's hard for me sometimes because I think, I just think that's kind of a, it's kind of an uninformed thing to say. Because most people who say that really haven't read it and don't even really understand what it actually is. In fact, I would say there's probably quite a few Christians who attend church on a regular basis that don't really understand what the Bible actually is, right? And if somebody says that, I don't believe, I'm not saying you shouldn't be skeptical. Any of you who know me know I'm skeptical on just about everything uh, there is. Um, and, and I'm not saying you should believe something just because somebody told you to believe it. I don't care how, uh, I don't care if they have a microphone, don't have a microphone. I don't care how big their audience is or how much uh, the car they drive costs. You shouldn't believe anything just because someone tells you to believe it. But to look at the Bible and just look at it and be like, yeah, yeah, I don't believe that. That's tough for me. Because it's not even an it collection of writings from people who didn't know each other from different parts of the world over 1400 years, who all combined together to tell the extraordinary story from the beginning of time to when Jesus was with us to what happened after that. And so naturally, something that amazing, I want you to read it. Now, the reason that it can be so difficult to read uh, is because it's so old. So roughly, this thing's about 3,500 years old when you trace it back to when it started. So of course, you read anything that's 3,500 years old, it's gonna be difficult to read. But we've got enough different translations that there's one that makes it possible for anybody to pick up and be able to grab a hold of it and start reading. Now, what I want to do for the next few minutes as we talk about this today, and as Dee so uh, eloquently pointed out to me, um, that I've got a whole sermon here about the Bible, um, and I've got two slides. (laughs) Sometimes I get up into the 30s, today is two. So ironically, there's not actual much Bible in my sermon about the Bible today. We'll get back to it big time next week. But I want you to be clear on what it is and kind of how um, it works. So what I want to do for, next, for the next few minutes is give you kind of a synopsis of the thing and tell you how all the pieces fit together. 
And for some of you, this may be a bit of a review. Older tapestry people, about once every five years, I hand you this card and remind you of it. For those of you who are newer than five years, this is going to be new and hopefully very helpful um, for you. But there are two main sections of the Bible. Anybody got to guess what they are? Yes, see, you guys are already, you guys are already ahead of the average, average Joe. Old Testament, New Testament. The word testament literally means covenant, or which is an agreement or a contract, right? And so the reason they call the first part the old and the second part the new is because in the Old Testament, which is the story of ancient Israel, right, there are many covenants that God had made with the nation of Israel. He made a covenant with Noah. I'll never flood the earth again. That was his covenant. He made a covenant with Abraham. The whole world will know your name and the entire world will be blessed by you. That was a foreshadowing of the coming of Christ. Uh, He made a covenant to David that, that the line of the king of Israel will always be in your family, right? It will be your lineage. But the reason they call the second part, the New Testament, Uh, is because when Jesus came, he told his followers, hey, all of the old covenant is great. I'm starting a new one that is going to replace the old one. So they've split it up conveniently. He said, I'm establishing this brand new covenant in my blood. In the past, in the past, all of the covenants, the Old Testament covenants, those were all sealed with the blood of animals. But Jesus did something new. So when assembling the Bible, they split it into two different sections. The Old Testament, the story of ancient Israel. The New Testament, the story of the ancient church. So that's why there's the split there. Everybody got me so far, right? All right, we're good on how it's set up so far. Yes. Now, I want to talk for just a few minutes about the Old Testament. Um, And I want you to take a look at this card that I put on your seat. And... um, I want you to keep this card with you in your Bible, if you have a Bible that you read, because it's great to refer back to, to kind of help you remember um, what we're getting ready to talk about and how everything relates to each other. So on one side, there's a list of all the different books and how they appear uh, straight in the Bible. Um, Yeah, and then on the other side, um, uh, there, let's see. So wait a minute, let me look. So the list, they're all divided up into law, history, poetry, and prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, Law, history, poetry, prophets. I don't know, we'll do some kind of fancy Jeremiah can uh, put in a slide to let the people watching the video see uh, on this screen. But that is how that is broken up, right? Now, this is how they appear in the Bible with the list, right? But that is not the chronological order of the books if you want to go through and read the story of Israel in the Old Testament. If you try and read it straight through, the storyline's good in Genesis, it holds through Exodus, then it skips to Numbers, right? Uh, if, if, you look at, if you look at the center row on your card, if you got that where it starts at Genesis in the center, and that center row runs all the way to the edge of Nehemiah, if you wanted to read the chronological order of the Old Testament, of just the story of the nation of Israel, you would start at Exodus and go through the, or Genesis, Genesis, Exodus, and you would run right down that center line. That would give you the story beginning to end. But all these other books are thrown in there in the order in the scriptures, and so if you start at the beginning and try to read through, you're going to start jumping all around, and you get real confused real quick, Right? And so what all these other books are, so the ones that are stacked on the top and then the ones that you see coming out on the bottom, 
uh, underneath the main storyline. What those are, are those are other books that were written that are kind of outside insights into what was going on during that storyline, right? It gives the insight into the history of what God was doing during the timeline story. So let, let me illustrate this way. If you were to have like a photo album of your life from when you were born to yesterday, right? And you were to put that photo of, okay, I want this in order as to how my life was, that photo album would run right down that middle row of books. And that would tell the story of your life. But then it was like, if all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, I kept journals during my life. And so I need those to be in there too. And so then in your photo album, all these ones stuck on the top would be like journals. And they would be like, oh, okay, I'm going to stick those in there because those are other things that I was thinking while that was kind of going on in my life. And then if there were other people on the outside who maybe had taken some videos and whatnot, that'd be down on the bottom and they would like, oh, no, I need to stick those there too because that would add some more understanding to what it is. That's kind of how the Old Testament uh, is arranged, right? Uh, and here's what we have. We have the, the uh, chronological order and then everything on the outside that happened during that time period. So, so here's, here's some examples. So if you look at the very beginning of the timeline, Genesis, on the back of your card, check that out. Um, and, and you go over to 2 Samuel. You got 1 and 2 Samuel there together in the main storyline. Um, 2 Samuel tells the story of King David. So if you're reading it, that's what it is. And specifically, if you go to 2 Samuel chapter 11, that would be the very famous story of David and Bathsheba, right? Most of you have heard that story. It's a juicy one, one of the big scandals of the Old Testament, right? So that was what was going on in 2 Samuel, right? Now, if you go down straight below that, see how the book of Psalms is on the bottom, kind of connected under right there? Well, so the book of Psalms, in Psalms 51, David records his prayer that he is praying, his prayer of desperation, during the whole Bathsheba event. Now, Psalms doesn't actually appear in the order of the books until much later. And so if you're just reading through and you're like, oh, okay, well, here's the story. Now I'm going to read some of this other stuff. And then you're all of a sudden you're reading and that David is saying that prayer. That prayer is just kind of out on its own. You don't really understand the, what's behind it, the emotions, the things that are going on. But if you can understand, oh, that prayer was David basically journaling during this piece of the timeline, it gives it a whole lot more depth. It gives it a whole lot more meaning, a lot more feeling. There's more involved than just some random prayer that is thrown out there, right? Uh, here's, here's another one. Uh, if you uh, move to the right over to 1 Kings, if you're in the order of the storyline there, 1 Kings, in 1 Kings, we find the story of Solomon. If you drop right be below that, you see the books sticking down are Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Those are all books that Solomon wrote. So you've got what's going on, the story of his life, and then you have below what he wrote. Again, in the Bible, those aren't right next to each other. So if you were to just read straight through cover to cover, they would seem disconnected from the actual story. But that's what they are, right? And so on one hand, you can read the story of Solomon, how he became king, what he did while he was king, the things he did good, the things he did bad. Then on the other hand, you have essentially in there what are basically his journals, right? Proverbs talks all about wisdom, things that he was learning 
throughout that time. Ecclesiastes talks about the futility of life apart from God. Some feelings that he was having during some of the events during his kingdom, right? Song of Solomon, which is a juicy one to read. will get you uh, suspended at least one day from a Christian school, I can tell you from personal experience. Uh, <laughs> Song of Solomon that he wrote over there, right? In fact, Solomon, Song of Solomon is interesting. It is, it's such a juicy book that uh, Jewish boys were forbidden from reading it uh, <laughs> until later in life. That's how explicit they felt that it was. So what you have is not just the story and the chronological story, but you have insights of what the people in the story were feeling while the story was going on. But again, just to pick it up and read cover to cover, you wouldn't really be able to connect those things, right? One more example. If you go all the way, if you go to the right, uh, see that gap in the story that says exile in Babylon, right? That is when the Israelites uh, were basically taken captive and sent to Babylon, right? That's what they're in there. Uh, there was a time when God was uh, mad at Israel and essentially allowed all of the best people, the leaders, to be exiled. Now, the next book past that gap is Ezra. If you're riding in the timeline, is Ezra. That's the story of all of the leaders returning back to Israel. So if you're going along in the timeline, okay, we're to the point where they're all starting to come back. But if you go right above Ezra, you're going to see Haggai, right? Who was a prophet, right? And he spoke into the events that were recorded in Ezra. Now the prophets are all bunched together towards the end of the Old Testament. And so it just seems like a lot of crazy talking that doesn't really connect to anything and you don't know what they're talking about. That's because this little out of order in the way that it was. And so this chart helps you be like, oh, those things that he's talking about, those were the events that were going on in the book of Ezra, right? And so um, uh, Malachi uh, is above the book of Nehemiah. You see that there uh, on the end. Um, because after Nehemiah, we go into a period of 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament where there's just nothing, God is quiet. So we're going through the whole story. You've got some journaling. You've got some uh, outside prophecies going on because God's saying things to Israel during the story. You've got them leaving, coming back, all of this stuff. You've got this going. And then all of a sudden, there's this break. 400 years. There's no record of God speaking or acting. Right? And what happens during that 400 years is not insignificant in history. Uh, here's what happens. Uh, in that 400 years, the rise of the Persian Empire happens. Right? That's a pretty significant event. Then there's the, the rise of the Greek Empire. Alexander the Great taking everything over. That happens in that 400-year gap. And then ultimately, there's the rise of the Roman Empire. That is three major empires that are rising and falling within that gap after Nehemiah, right? Now, here's the cool thing, is that at the end of the Old Testament, there are these prophets who look into the future, right? They look into the future and they make predictions. And they sound, their predictions sound something like this. Like, oh, even though Israel has turned its back on God again and again, God is going to keep his promise, right? There will come a savior and a Deliverer. And then it just ends. And for 400 years, the Jewish people have to wait. Let that sink in. 400 years. 
no prophecy, no word from God, no sign that God is even interested in them anymore. To kind of help put that in perspective, the U.S. is only about uh, 245 years old, maybe a little more. I don't remember the, I can't do the math real quick as to how far we are. Somewhere in that window, 245 years, right? So for nearly twice as long as the United States has even been a country, right? God was quiet, nothing, zero, right? Eventually, people got to the point when they would hear the stories of the Old Testament, of what God was doing in through these things. They would hear those and be like, yeah, 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 yeah. I know all of the stories, but where's God now? Where is he, right? And they spent their whole life with nothing from God and then they died. And then their children had a whole lifetime of nothing from God and then they died. And then their children, an entire lifetime, nothing from God and then died over and over and over again, right? There was every reason, every reason for them to just throw their hands up and say, where is God now? It's over. It's over. This is just some sort of opium for the people going back and talking about all of these old stories that at this point, we don't even know if they're really true, right? The Persians, the Greeks, the Romans have all marched through here with no sign of God to protect us or to deliver us from any of it. Why do we continue to play these religious games? That is where the nation of Israel had got. Because they had gotten, finally gotten to the point that it had been enough generations of nothing from God that they're like, yeah, he's not gonna come through for us like he supposedly did for our ancestors. It's been 400 years of nothing, it's over. Then, then, in what seems like nowhere, an angel appears to a young girl and says, we're going to do something new. Right? You're going to have a child. You're going to name him Jesus. I know it seems like the game's over. I know you haven't heard anything from God for over 400 years and everybody's given up hope. But your baby is going to be the savior of the world. Now, my question is, as I kind of think through some of this stuff logically, is after you've got the whole story of the nation of Israel, and then for generations, there is nothing. A nation has given up. Why? Why would you all of the sudden, if you were going to start it back up and make something up, why would you start connected to the same old story? Everybody had given up on that story. Everybody had lost hope in that story. Why would you revive that story? Why try to resurrect what so many people now just viewed as a myth? I mean, come up with something new. Come up with something more creative, something a little more exciting. Let, let me read one verse from the prophet of Malachi, that last prophet, before the uh, 400 years of silence. Uh, here's what he said in Malachi chapter 3. And he's speaking as if God is speaking through him. He says this, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. So essentially, I'm going to send a messenger. So get ready. And then I'll send the Lord and he will appear in the temple. He says, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So he writes that, then silence for 400 years. 
Then 400 years later, all of a sudden, this smelly, loudmouth weirdo shows up at the Jordan River saying, all right, get ready, here he comes. Get ready, here he comes, right? And the skeptics are rolling their eyes in the back as hard as they can, like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this oddball is bringing this thing up, right? And he was so unusual and so weird to them that people would ask him, like, what are you talking about? Are you the Messiah? Are you? He's like, no, 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 no. I'm just the messenger, right? I'm not even worthy to lace up his sandals. Like, no, I am not the Messiah. Then one day, Jesus shows up on the scene, right? And John says, behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of of the world. This is the one, everybody standing here, that we have been waiting for for the 400 years of silence. You might have thought it was a myth. You may have given up hope, but get ready because God is getting ready to do something brand new. Now, I'm telling you, you can discount the Bible if you want, that's your prerogative. Um, but just the transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament is amazing. Everything that happened, it is essentially a miracle in and of itself, the way that that transition takes place, right? John shows up, fulfills the prophecies of the prophets. Jesus shows up and fills so much more. All right, enough, enough, of, enough of sermonizing. Let's get back to the card. All right, so if you flip over the card and you're looking at the list of how the books are presented in the Bible, uh, you'll see the list of the New Testament books, and those are in four different categories, gospel, uh, history, letters, uh, prophets. So there it is. The gospels are the four accounts that we have of the life of Christ. Now, he was only on the planet three years, and we get four accounts of his life, Right? Uh, with a lot of different perspectives. Each of these books were written from a different point of view and give us different insights onto the person and the experience of Jesus on the planet, right? Then after that is Acts, which Acts is essentially the story of how the church started after Jesus left. It covers about a 30-year span of telling us what went down once Jesus left the planet and how the church got rolling, right? We read about Paul's journeys, throughout uh, the known world at the time. Uh, the, and we, we read about the, the way that he spread the word. We read about the persecution of the church there in Acts. Now, just like the Old Testament has outside writings that goes along with the storyline, essentially, the Gospels and Acts is the storyline. That's it. If you want the storyline of the New Testament, that's not too much for you to read. But then there's all these outside writings that go along with it. And, th and these are all letters, right? And these are all letters that were written by people in the story when the story was happening, right? And so you get some behind the scenes insight of what was going on and what people were thinking that you don't get if you just read the gospels and then the Acts version of the history of the church, right? So let me give you an example. If you go down to Ephesians, which is, I don't know, about the fifth book down, under letters. Uh, if you go down to Ephesians, um, that is a letter written to the church in Ephesus. But up in Acts, you can read about his actual trip to Ephesus. So he has the interaction in Acts, and then later on, you can read in Ephesus, oh yeah, so hey, Ephesus people, here's some things that I think you need to know based on what our experience was when we were together. Right? 
And so it's same as with Philippians and the book of Romans. These are all letters that Paul wrote to the churches that you can read about him actually visiting while he was in Acts. So we get a multifaceted look at these events. This is why the Bible as a collection is such an incredible, incredible document and piece of history. Because listen, most history, and you should know this, most history um, was written by people who were hired by emperors and kings to write the history. Now, if emperors and kings were paying someone to write the history, who do you think comes out looking good in that history? The emperors and the kings, right? In most of our history that we have like that, that written history, that's the way that that works. But, but uh, the New Testament is extraordinary because it is a history and it was written not by people who were being paid by emperors and kings. It was being written by people who were being chased and persecuted and who were in no way, shape or form being paid. They had embraced a religion that was illegal to embrace in that time. Then the last book down on there, it's kind of a lonely book, Prophetic Vision is what it's under, the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. Now, John, who we read about John uh, in the Gospels, and he wrote one of the Gospels, and we read about John and what he did in Acts. John, um, later on uh, in life, he had been exiled uh, to the Isle of Patmos, and he had a vision of what he believed was going to happen in the future. Now, there's lots of different ways to look at Revelation, and about what you think that is. There are some Christians who look at Revelation uh, and they believe that the events of Revelation have already taken place. That a lot of what he was saying um, was a metaphorical presentation of some of the things that were gonna happen and they think that that's already taken place. Some people think all of that is still in the future. Those things that are written in Revelation. And some, some think John was just on the island in the sun too long and lost it. <laughs> Now, I don't know which of those three is correct. <laughs> and to be honest, I don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about that. But regardless of where you are, Revelation was John's vision of what he thought the future was going to be. Christ returns and establishes his kingdoms. So as Christians, here is where we find ourselves. There was this prophecy of what would happen in the future at the end of the storylines, and then nothing waited 400 years. The same way that ever since the end of the New Testament, we've waited 2,000 years. 2,000 years. And like that group of Jewish people, so many people now think, well, it has been so long and there has been nothing. And we've heard people saying, the time is soon, the time is soon, the time is soon. That clearly it was just fake. There's nothing really to it. People just need it to feel good about themselves. We're not sure any of it actually really ever even happened. But when you pause to think about how faithful God was in the 400 year gap, and as you read the New Testament and you start to see and understand how all of these things fit and work together, you come away with the understanding that this really is, this collection of books, this really is the story of God's interaction with man. It really is. Now, where we can get in trouble sometimes 
uh, as if when people began to argue and the difference of, oh, well, this is God's view and all of it, God's exact words of the interaction, as opposed to, well, this is people trying to understand their interaction and work their way through it with God. It can be, people view it in different ways. And I'm not gonna tell you which way you should view it. But it really is the story of the interaction of God and man. So when people say, oh, I just don't believe it. I mean, my reaction is, yeah, I don't think you really understand what it is. And I don't think you've given it that much thought. Right? Now, even if you don't believe it's true, here's what I know. I know that your life, I know that your family, I know that your finances, I know that your job would all be better. Even if you don't believe any of the Bible's true, it would all be better if you lived your life the way Jesus told you to live your life. So, you should read it because I think you'll be surprised at some of the things that you find. Well, 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 it was just written by men. I hear that a lot. To which I say, yeah, I know. That's what makes it so amazing. That's what makes it so amazing. It was written by 40 different people covering 1,500 years from different times, different cultures, different practices, with a 400-year gap in the middle of it where nobody carried on the story. And then somehow it tells one simple story that stretches beyond anybody's lifetime. This is why you will find stories of people who pick up the Bible as skeptics, and when they figure out what it is and get done reading it, they walk away as believers. Believers in Christ, the same Christ whose message, not his army, whose message overpowered the Roman Empire, right? What would have happened if you would have gone to the emperor of Rome in the first century and asked, hey, 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 emperor, what are the odds? What are the odds uh, that this city sometime in the future is going to be covered in crosses representing a Jewish carpenter that you put to death in a place that you've never visited. If you were to ask Tiberius that question, what are the odds Rome will be overwhelmed by the death and resurrection of a Jewish carpenter? He would have looked at you and he would have said, that will never happen. Impossible. You go to the city of Rome today, what do you see? Crosses and symbols of Jesus everywhere. Everywhere. Why would Roman citizens accept a Jewish cult? There's no other reason other than Jesus rose from the dead. And those who saw it were willing to give their lives because of it. And the Bible is the record of all of it. It's worth reading. So if you've tried and gotten lost and like, I can't keep track of the story, I don't know what's going on, hopefully this card maybe might inspire you to start again. If you just want the straight story, read down through that center line in the Old Testament. Read the first four books of the New Testament. That'll give you just the story. Then once you got a grasp on just the story, you can go back and look at some of the other things that spoke into those moments and begin to get a greater depth and understanding. It really is an absolutely incredible book. And you'll find things in there that you never dreamed were in there. 
And you'll find things not in there that you had been told all your life were actually in there. And they weren't. It's an amazing book and it's worth a read. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you uh, for just this incredible collection of writings that we have, that it has been preserved, that we can go back and we can see your interactions with the human race. And Lord, that we can, we can look at people's feelings, the things they were going through, their disappointments, their excitements, their sorrows, their desperation, that they, in their own words, recorded for us as they were going through the events in the timeline. They give us so much more insight, Father. Lord, I thank you that so many of those things give us permission to feel and say things to you and about you that, Lord, most of us had grown up in church being told we don't dare have those feelings or dare say those things to you. God, I pray that, that for all of us, especially for those of us who maybe have picked it up and not even known how to start, that today be a step to begin to open up the wonderful gift that we've been given, which are the scriptures. And Lord, may they truly be a revelation to us as if you yourself were teaching us. Lord, I thank you for everything you've done for us and everything you've given us. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being out today. Uh, look forward to next week as I uh, take another stab at my best effort to get you to want to read your Bible.